Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, let's pay attention. Come look, come look. Come look, click more, more shoulder. Every morning here in the unit we would have a morning parade on the square where all people present would be located. And so it's called a check parade so at the end of it we have a tally of the number of personnel who are present and also gives an opportunity for the non-commissioned officers uh, to inspect the troops and the type of thing they're looking for is to make sure that people are dressed correctly. Gives an opportunity to enforce discipline if people uh, aren't shaved or boots are dirty and so it, it is part of the military ethos and discipline that takes part in this unit uh, on a daily basis every morning. It's part of our tradition and the routine here in the unit which does distinguish Dundalk Barracks from other units because it happens every morning here in Dundalk. And my name is Lieutenant Colonel John Kilmartin. I'm the battalion commander here in Dundalk Barracks of the 27th Infantry Battalion. In fact, I just found out that I'm the 34th battalion commander since its uh, origination in 1973. In the 1970s, we had an ongoing problem in Northern Ireland with severe civil disturbances. Uh, in response to that, the government decided in 1973 that the Defence Force had needed two new units to serve along the border and they decided on two infantry battalions which are roughly around 550 troops in each battalion. One of these was to operate in the west, in the area of Donegal, and the other was to operate in the east, and that was the 27th Battalion. And the location that was chosen for the 27th Battalion would be its headquarters in Dundalk. Well... Before the barracks was born, the site was occupied by others. In 1737, 
Lord Limerick was involved in establishing the manufacture of cambric. Cambric is a fine linen. In 1798, Lord Roden's Yeomanry occupied the site. A military presence was maintained there following the suppression of the 1798 Rising. The first army unit to arrive was the 6th Dragoon Guards, and that was in 1800. My name's Steve O'Donnell, and I've served in the Defence Force for 36 years. Uh, 24 years of that was served in Dundalk Barracks and uh, 12 years in other places. The busiest years of that service were all in Dundalk. That was from 1972 until 1996. Joe Gavin, who worked in the same section as me, uh, we uh, decided we should write a, a little book a brief history of the barracks. Hello, my name is Ricardo Lucchese. I'm a serving soldier with the 27th Battalion. I have been for the last 32 years, 20 of which have been served here in Aiken Barracks and Dock. I'm currently a sergeant with the 27th Battalion and I also in charge of the small museum that we have in Aiken Barracks. This morning we're going to take a walking tour of the barracks and I'm going to point out a lot of the interesting historical aspects to the barracks that a lot of people outside the walls may not be familiar with. Where we're standing now, Sarah, is at the inner gate, called the Barrack Gate. And if you and I are looking now towards the town centre, which is to the west of the barracks, and then the, the gate that we use now is to the east. Now, the Barrack Gate we're on has been in operation really since the times of the Cambric Factory, but certainly by the British Army since 1798, until 1980 those gates were in operation. Now in 1800 the regular British army came in through these gates here and they left in 1921. And remember sir as well that we're exactly one mile from the town centre from where we are and the idea of the British putting a barracks here was that they could garrison the town and also in the time of civil unrest they had easy access to the centre of town. The main gate is the main access and, and exit from the barracks and that's what the, those gates were. But those gates can tell a great story of the history of, of Aiken Barracks and, in fact, the history of Dundalk itself. In 1825, there was a, a building programme began. Many of the old buildings were demolished and in, in their place, more buildings sprung up. It was the intention at the time to accommodate a cavalry unit. The buildings that come to mind would be the four accommodation blocks on the east and west side of the barrack square. Uh, the horse stables to the, on the south of the square and the riding school on the southwest with a forage yard. Now the riding school at the moment is uh, the gym, gymnasium. By 1868, the barracks was capable of accommodating 51 officers and, and non-commissioned officers and 462 single privates. 40 married men with spouses and stabling for 400 horses. So we're brought you down and remember we're still within the confines of the barracks and we can see the barracks covers about 10 acres but every part of the barracks is used for something. Now we're going into the areas of the barracks that really dealt with the horses. Cavalry, 
horses and then subsequently artillery. Horses became very, very important. The buildings we were looking at, the red brick building, which is under reconstruction again now, was your original regimental workshops for the horses, with the shoes, with the horseshoes, the smiths, the farriers would have been here. And in fact, in the roof now that's been repaired, you could still see where the anvil, where the, uh, the chimney would have been for the anvil. And inside that building, you could still see the, the, the support where the anvils used to be. You can imagine back now the, the blacksmith with the leather cape on him, banging away at the horseshoes. The building, this substantial building here we're looking at, it's a fantastic building, was the original riding school. It's now, it's now a locker room for our soldiers. But this building was constructed in the 1820s, a fantastic building. And we used it as drill shell up until modern history. From the 60s right until 1980, the General Electric Company used this as a storeroom with access from, from Hyde Park just over the wall. But we've claimed it back. Now when we go into this uh, building, Sarah, you can see the original beams on it, on the roof. And you can notice as well that the walls are curved inwards. Now I don't know enough about horse riding, but my understanding is that when you're learning to ride a horse, that a horse can't throw you against the wall if the walls are curved. Now the floor would have been made of sand and sawdust. But it's a, it's a fantastic building and it's still in use. Sarah, I've brought you in now to the original riding school of the barracks, which is now a locker room. It's a fantastic building. It's about 40 foot in height and you can see the beams going across it, the original oak beams that were on it. Now, I'll draw your attention to the wall, Sarah. You can just see the curve coming down. A horse couldn't throw you into the corner. And that's, you can still, the curve is quite noticeable here. Now, through the, through the windows there, that's straight onto Hyde Park. And part of the preservation of the barracks is that we had to put the original windows onto it. But it's great to see this building still in use. And Sarah, I'll draw your attention to the two small holes in the wall above. They are actually portholes for rifles. That in the, in the event of the barracks being attacked in the British Army time, and even the Irish Army time, a soldier would stand up there and be able to look out and point a rifle out that direction. And that would have covered off the area towards the main gate at the back of, at the back of Barrack Street in Hyde Park. Sarah, we're now in the courtyard of the modern Board of Works, which are civilian employers employed by the Army. The, the buildings you see now are fantastically and are well preserved. That's the original corn shed, which would have been used to feed the uh, horses. The hay shed on the left-hand side. This is where the horses would have been, the food would have been stored. And directly behind our modern gym was the manges where the horses were fed. So this storeroom, you can see it's an open, open uh, courtyard, which would have been cobblestoned back in the day. The numbers of the troops at the time, and we, we revert back to the two wonderful books by Harold O'Sullivan, Steve O'Donnell and Joe Gavin. You can, they tell us the numbers of the troops at the time. At one stage, there were nearly 1,100 soldiers here uh, in training, but generally there would have been in between 400 and 700 soldiers. Remember, and there's horses with them as well. That's quite an awful lot of people, quite an awful lot of horses. And the horses had to be fed, had to be fed. So there was an awful lot of commerce going on with the local town, the buying of horses, the buying of hay, the buying of foodstuffs for the horses as well as the soldiers. But I suspect maybe the horses might have been treated a wee bit better than the soldiers were at the time. But these buildings were the hay sheds and you can see they would have been open. The hay would have been just left there so the rain couldn't get it at it. And this is the, the, the corn shed. And there's still wonderful buildings still preserved. We're now down at the barrack football pitch, which is a fantastic piece of area within the barracks. 
and we're at a very, very sudden end of the barracks. As you can see, we go onto the Coase Road and the factories are there. On the right-hand side, Sarah, you've got the gymnasium, and behind us, we have the Blackthorn Business Park with the stables on. Now, the noise in the background is our annual football match. The battalion is broke, broken into four companies. Headquarter company, A company, B company, and garments, and support company. Now, the teams you have playing here in orange, playing from our right to left, are a headquarter company. We're made up the clerks, the drivers, the cooks. Against B Company, who come from Garmentstown. Now, traditionally, Headquarter Company are a wee bit older, a wee bit mature than the guys, but Headquarter Company are now 3 1 ahead. Now, this is very competitive. There's a very high standard of fitness, as you know, within the Defence Force, so number 27, Tony Battaglia, and there are some good football players here. The football pitch is a great asset to us, and it's used quite a lot. The football pitch originates, it was really the drill field for the artillery and the cavalry, where they would have drilled their, uh, their soldiers. And our speed company just scored, that's a 3-2 now. If we turn around there and face north, you can see the old stone wall leading. And right behind the wall is the original stables of the barracks. Now, why would you think it was, there was a wall between the drill field and the other wall? Because the drill field was, it was, it would have been outside the barracks, still with another wall on it. But this is the original stables of the barracks. Now, when you go in, you can see exactly where the stables were laid out and how accessible they were for the soldiers. And... The first two stables, which are still in use today, but not as stables, would have been for the officers where their horses were kept and the troopers then would have had their stables on down. Now everything was kept there and the, the, the horses were treated very, very well. There would have been a full-time staff to look after them. This is still owned by the Department of Defence right until, I think, right until about 1997, 98. And then it was sold to Blackthorn Business Park. So it no longer belongs to the Department of Defence. And also there's a wonderful clock tower in the middle, which is very much part of the Victorian style of British Army barracks. The Royal Field Artillery period of occupation in the barracks was quiet and routine, up until the outbreak of the war, the First World War, 1914. In March 1914, 457 officers and NCOs and men of the Cornwall Infantry arrived in the barracks from Dublin. So with the artillery already in the barracks, the place must have been overflown, with a grand total of almost 1,000 within its walls. At this time, the barracks was being used as a training centre for units going abroad. From what I know about it, there couldn't, didn't seem to be anything dramatic happening uh, in the barracks during that period. It seems the barracks continued as a transit point for soldiers going abroad to the theatre of war, coming from counties throughout Ireland and going on to Belfast. When the War of Independence commenced, personnel in the barracks were kept busy searching for arms and any type of material that would aid the IRA. Roadblocks, which for the last 50 years have been called checkpoints, would have been an ongoing task at that time. At one of these roadblocks on the 4th of June 1919, which was at the request of the RIC, a local man called Matt Murphy. He was a native of Dundalk. He was shot outside the town at the New Inn on the road to Newry. During the War of Independence, this was the only death of a person being shot by the army in County Loud. Nor were there any soldiers shot in the county by the IRA. 
this, they didn't seem to get into battle with each other. The, the targets of the IRA in this area were usually the RIC and the supporting elements, the auxiliaries and the blackened hands. After the treaty was signed, the UK forces began to withdraw. The army left Dundalk Barracks on the 13th of April 1922 and an hour later Frank Aiken and the 4th Northern Division entered and took possession. Frank Aiken, as you know, is very, very important to us here in Aiken Barracks. The barracks, of course, are named after him. Because Frank Aiken was the leader of the 4th Northern Division, or the contingent of the 50 soldiers from the 4th Northern Division that took over the barracks when the British evacuated back in 1922. Frank Aiken was arrested from the barracks here by troops from the 5th Northern Division and in his own wards with two Thompson submachine guns under my nose. So Frank Aiken then was incarcerated in the local jail which is now our guard station. Then in July of that year he was blown out of it, the famous hole in the side of the wall. And in August of that year he attacked the barracks here in the dock and he blew part of the barracks up. Where we're standing now in front of our transport complex is the site of the original officers' mess billings. Now the officers' mess billings stood here until about 1974 when June rejuvenation of the barracks and works and they were knocked down unfortunately. The officers' mess billings were attacked by Frank Aiken when he attacked the barracks in August of 1922 and the reason he went after the officers' mess, obviously you go after the officers, you're going after the leaders and he attacked down. Now it was a beautiful three-story building built over a cellar with a, an adjoining billiard room and an adjoining accommodation block. What we can see, we can still see that the, the buildings in the back would have been the carriage sheds for the senior officers. Both buildings here at the gate as well. Now behind that, what was known then as the CO's garden, it's where we believe Jimmy Mealy and Thomas Lennon were executed. And shall we go forward to it? James Mealy and Thomas Lennon were two young men that were executed during the, uh, the Civil War in January 1923 in the barracks here and it's a very very dark period of Irish history. Now the two guys were caught with a, a pistol and six rounds of ammunition by a military checkpoint. They were travelling in a car in the Dowdles Hill area of Dundalk. They were arrested on the spot and they were taken into the military barracks at the time. Remember martial law because of the Civil War and they were charged, they were charged with having weapons and ammunition in their possession. They were court-martialed and found guilty and sentenced to death. Very draconian, but it was the times we were living at the time. They were executed the following morning at 6 a.m. In, in the barracks, in the Dock Military Barracks. So I've brought you now to the northern extremity of the barracks. You can see the wall in front of us, and we're overlooking onto the Point Road. This would have been the CO's garden. Our understanding is that the two young men, Jimmy Mealy and Thomas Lennon, were executed against this wall here. Now the reason we say that is because it wouldn't have been public, it wouldn't have been for the other soldiers of the, of the barracks to see. It would have just included maybe a chaplain, uh, the firing squad and the officer in charge of the firing squad. These houses weren't there at the time. Married quarters are certainly there, but they weren't occupied by the Free State Armies. So I've been led to believe and been told that they were probably placed against this wall. with the firing squad standing here 
and there would have been sandbags positioned that were shot against the wall. Now the reason we think that as well and they won't execute it down towards the football pitch is because they were probably not executed with the open graze line beside them. That's maybe not, I'm not sure, but this is what we believe were to execute it. We're moving down towards the sudden end of the barracks now and onto our modern football pitch and our modern gym. Now, my understanding is that when Thomas Lennon and James Mealy were executed, they were buried in this particular area where we are now. And the reason they were buried is because obviously the Times, they didn't want the IRA to make a, a shrine out of their grave. But in 1926, they were reinterned and they were buried in Dowdles Hill on the site which is now the Republican plot. But this is where we believe they were originally buried after they were executed. We, we understand that Lennon and Mealy were executed here in the barracks. There was also a young gentleman called Joseph Ferguson who was executed at the same time. But we think he was executed in the county jail, which also was garrisoned by the Free State Army at the time. Lennon Amelia, there was a street in Dundalk named after Lennon Amelia Terrace just at Lisdu. And a lot of local people don't know the history of Jimmy Amelia and Thomas Lennon. They don't know who they were. They know Lennon Amelia Terrace, but when they ask what was it named after, we don't know. And it's part of the history that's right alive in Aiken Barracks today. Well, after the Civil War, the barracks continued to be occupied until 1928. It then became vacant and there was a civilian caretaker there for the next six years. Conlon was his name and uh, he, uh, he had been in the army. Modern history of the Irish army and the barracks. Remember that we, we took over the barracks on Frank Aiken back in 1922 and then the ensuing civil war, then the peace in the 30s. So the barracks kind of fell into disuse and it wasn't used. A lot of it was leased off in parcels to different factories. Shoes were a big part of history in the dock, shoes and breweries. But this is part of the, of the Clarks and Ross and Shoe Factory in this area. And we have some contemporary photographs of bicycles leaving from here in the mass because at the time the dock had a big workforce and everybody was on bicycles. Sarah, what I've brought you into now is the original jail of the barracks. Now each Barracks or military establishment would have had a correctional facility. They would have had a provost section, which is the military police, and they would have had discipline was a big thing, as you know, within the military. But this was the jail. This is the holding centre that if a soldier was late for duty, drunk on duty, not shaven, had been insubordinate, any amount of transgressions, he would have faced a summary court martial or orders and he would have been confined to the barracks or he could have been locked up in the jail and that could have gone from seven days to 28 days in what's colloquially known as the digger. Now this is the jail. Now we are right beside the main gate because the guard room would have been here where the main security of the prison was and also where the jail was. Now the building I brought you to is right adjacent to the main gate. In fact, we can hear the noise of the street of Barrack Street and the point road beside us. Now the walls are very impressive, old limestone walls and they reach maybe 12, 15 foot above us. The roof has now gone off and we can still see the barred windows. On the left-hand side, sir, you can see where the actual three cells were, and we can still see the cell doors. Now, they're pretty impressive. They've been whitewashed over the years because these have been used after the British left. We've been using them for different storerooms. You can see it says danger there because at one stage they put batteries for, for radio cars and for uh, radios in this building. Now, if you look even closer, you can see some of the old graffiti, and on the back of these doors, there is graffiti from guys who were locked up, which is quite interesting. It's a good read. Again, another great link to the history of the barracks. 
but it's a, it's a fascinating part of the barracks. This, is, this would have been their exercise yard, depending on the crime and depending on the punishment. They would have been sent around the barracks to do menial jobs, clean the toilets, clean the horses, or they would have just done their time here. There might have been two or three soldiers in there at one time. Thomas Lennon and, and James Melia. It's quite possible they may have been confined to these areas here the night before they were executed and, and even taken from these cells to be executed. Which again paints a darker history of the barracks, but history nonetheless. Well, during World War II, uh, the task seemed to be holding the line in the event of an invasion by land or sea. There was a cyclist unit uh, that was stationed here. The LDF would have worked closely with the army during this period. The volunteer force formed in 1934. It was an army reserve uh, and they functioned until 1939 when they were absorbed into the regular army. In 1940-41, the LSF and the LDF were recruited and uh, they played their part for the duration of the war. We are now at the Point Road gate of the barracks where the normal traffic comes in and out of the barracks. And you can see the big horseshoe shape in it which suits us because it allows us to take an awful lot of vehicles in without any cause any problems. But this gate actually was built by the shoe factories. So this is in fact the gate where Frank Aiken when he attacked the barracks because this is a secondary small gate, it wasn't the main gate. Remember I spoke to you earlier that in all barracks you have the main gate. Well, this was not the main gate at the time. The main gate would have been at the Barrack Street. Now I'll just bring you down a couple of couple of yards down this direction. And we're just going past, we're still on the point road now. And where we're walking now, we're walking eastward towards the, the, the lower point road. And I'm just going to draw your attention to a small stone that's got an arrow on it. And above it it says OB and it's got an arrow pointing up and it says number nine. Now I'm going to count the distance between the wall and that stone and watch this. One, two, three, four, five. That's five feet. This means outside boundary. The arrow means it's made by the uh, Royal Engineers and also it's number nine boundary. Under the, the rules of the War Department in the barracks, it was illegal for anybody to build anything within five feet of the wall of the barracks. But that's what that stone is, is there for. The trouble erupted in the north, north of the border, in 1969. The barracks was occupied again by full-time soldiers who arrived from Dublin and the Curra. After four years of violent activity in the north, it became apparent that it was going to continue. Not like the 1956 IRA campaign, which had more or less fizzled out after about two years. We're standing directly outside the door to the um, modern non-commissioned officers mess. Now, it's a fantastic building as you can see, it's the, the old sandstone building and these were built by the British in the 1840s. 1969 the trouble started, this is where the soldiers came and stayed. The buildings were very very much in disrep disrepair at the time, window panes broken, floors gone, but this is where the soldiers stayed. Now 1969 also, not only did we have loads of soldiers arriving here, 
with loads of civilians coming from the north who would have been displaced refugees, for want of a better word, who came from their own parts of Derry and from Belfast. And this would have been the first port of call. They were seen at a place called New Inn and New Road, but also they would have come in here, they would have been treated if there was any minor ailments, and they probably would have been registered here. But my understanding is that none of them ever stayed here, they were moved to Gormanstown camp. But this quite possibly would have been a holding area. There would have been medical staff here with the regular army at the time and people coming across the border from a number of ailments. They could have been tired, shock, been hurt, been injured in some shape or form. They would have been treated here and sent on to Cormanstown. As far as I'm aware, I don't think anybody actually were housed here, any of those refugees were housed here. Because of Dundalk's proximity to the border, there will always be an amount of tension and anxiety felt by the populace, especially if there's any kind of terrorism or violence along the border. Local people often said to me years ago when I was serving that they were happy to see the army and guards patrolling along and uh, doing checkpoints. There was a survey done and it was done in 1983 and it was over a period of eight years from 1975 to 1983 and it related strictly to the 27 battalions duties checkpoints. And there was a total of something like 53,600 checkpoints manned in aid of the civil power by members of the 27th Battalion in the battalion's operational area. Since the foundation of the unit here in Dundalk and right to the present day, as regards domestic security or aid to the civil power, internal security is primarily the responsibility of the Garda Síochána. And the army here in Dundalk plays a supporting but a key role providing on request aid to the civil power, as we would determine. As we know, unlike other countries, primarily we have an unarmed police force here. And as a result, here in Dundalk, the Defence Forces has been called upon to provide support to the Gardaí on an ongoing basis. And typical examples that people would see when they're out and about in Dundalk would have been the security of cash in transit. And you would see cash uh, vans going about their business. Uh, the army would be there and present with the Gardaí. Um, you would also recall the days when there were unfortunately bombings uh, and the call-outs that would be recalled and the army would go to deal with that and you would see what people would call um, the bomb disposal team would deal with an issue if it was there on the border uh, and people would be familiar with the joint checkpoints that were carried out between the army and the guards all along the border uh, on the national roads but also the unapproved roads down through the years and the larger searches that may have taken place. So I said right since the start of Dundalk, barracks, Aiken barracks, right to the present day, and we still do, they carry out aid to the civil power, helping the Gardaí on a daily basis. For people stationed in Dundalk, the border for a member of the army has a, a, a unique problem because, for example, if you live in Northern Ireland, you're not allowed to wear an Irish army uniform so when you leave work, you can't wear your working clothes home. You have to change your clothes. You can't wear your uniform when you cross the border into Northern Ireland. And likewise, when uh, you were traveling around, if you're to go to Cavan or Monaghan, for example, um, when we're working here, if it's an official business, you can't use what we would take the straight road across to, to Coothill or to Blaney or anything like that. So we have to be cognizant of the fact that when we're in, in our working environment, we must 
particularly stay on the southern side of the border, even if it means longer detours and that. Um, and quite a number of our personnel live in Northern Ireland, over 100 uh, of the unit, which is over a quarter of the unit. It, it's, it's a unique uh, distinction having living in Northern Ireland but working in the Republic and working in the, in the Irish Army uh, creates some slight administrative di difficulties for individuals. Incidents along the border, I suppose, uh, would uh, stand out in mind. I think, uh, I suppose the people in Dock were aware of the fact that there was the conflict in Northern Ireland, but uh, they wouldn't have been aware of the minute incidents that were happening literally mile, just miles from, from their homes. And I suppose I never really thought about it much. It was just a job, and I'd done my job, and I'd done it to the best of my ability, and, and as did all my co colleagues and comrades and the Gardaí. But... Uh, yeah, it was different, I suppose, for, for lads serving on the border. My name is Anthony Gonnelly. Um, my affiliation with uh, Aiken Barracks and Dock. Um, yeah, 1976, I joined the FCA. I think I was 1978. I, I went full-time FCA. The full-time FCA was a kind of augmentation to the regular army as, as a direct result, I suppose, of the, uh, of the border situation. And then in 1981, I joined the regular army. Um, and from that, I retired in 2001. Um, so pretty much been in Aiken Barracks all my life. The main square of the barracks is the heart of any barracks from the ceremonial point of view, insofar as that all the parades are held here and all the inspections are held within the main square. As you can see, it's devoid of any traffic or anybody walking. The main focal point of the, of the main square is the national flag, and you can see it flying there in all its glory. Now, because a national flag is flying, as a soldier, I may not stroll or walk across the main square. If I need to get from A to B, I walk around the, I march around the edges. I don't walk, I march around the edges. Now, the flag, as you can see, is to show that it's an occupation. It's an occupation by the defence forces. Each morning and each evening, the flag is hoisted and taken down ceremoniously by the officer of the day and the barrack orderly sergeant of the day. Now, their tasks is to raise the flag, and because we're in winter time, at half eight in the morning, and because it's December, that flag will come down at half three this evening. Now, it's not just taken down and put away. It's taken down ceremony. It's saluted, taken down and folded in preparation for being rehoisted the following morning. Very, very important to soldiers, the, uh, the national flag. And in fact, one of the key parts we played in the 1916 commemoration last year was to go and visit the local schools and to present them a proclamation and to present them the national flag. And I myself played a part in that. And one of the things I would say to the school kids as soon as I went into them, one word I want you to remember about the national flag is the word respect. And that's what we start with. So currently, uh, the 27th Infantry Battalion, as we know it, has around 440 personnel in it. The battalion, its headquarters is based in Dundalk and Aiken Barracks. Uh, and in addition, in Dundalk, then you would have uh, what we would call the headquarter company, the A company, and support company here in Dundalk, and they're what known as PDF, which is termed for Permanent Defence Forces. Uh, we also have a second company, which is called B Company, and that is stationed in County Meath in Gormanstown. So there's what's called our, our PDF strength. So that roughly numbers around 440 people. Of that, you would have approximately 100 of those would live in Northern Ireland, with around 20 females in the unit. Under the new concept we have for the RDF, which is the Reserve Defence Forces, or people would know it as the old FCA, we have also three companies attached to the battalion. A company here in Dundalk called D Company, in Cavan, 
we have C Company, and in County Mead then we will have E Company. And in total the RDF component of the unit would number around 150. Uh, in total, if everyone was to be present on the day, we would have close to 600 people serving in the unit in any one day. Looking north again, sir, you can see the three prefabs in a row. And those prefabs came to the, to the barracks back in 1974 as temporary accommodation. Now, they've been here ever since because they've still been used. Now, this building I'm going to show you now is the Garrison Church, and it's still in use. And my own children were christened here, and we've had a number of children christened, and we've also had one wedding in this particular church. Now, I'll bring you inside and show you how nice it is inside. Now, as you can see, I've removed my headdress when I come in because we're in a church. Now, Bernard doesn't mind whether what religion or shade you come from, he'll cater for everybody. I'll bring you to the altar and you can see a list of the soldiers that died within service within the 27th Battalion. And every November we have a deceased members day within, throughout the Defence Forces we remember our dead. But on the right hand side here just at the altar, these are guys that died in service within the 27th Battalion. Now they died of, of uh, different causes but I'll draw your attention to Mickey McNeely who was killed on the 24th of February 1989. And that's the UNE are named after him. But these guys all served within Dundalk with the 27th Battalion at the time. Jim McInerney, I'm chairman of the Michael McNeil branch, which is a branch of the UNE uh, here in Dundalk. We are here at the moment in uh, our drop-in centre in Aiken Barracks. It's, a, it's uh, attached to the museum. We are the only actual branch in the country that has a, a, an office or a drop-in centre within about military barracks. What happens here is if anybody, any ex-service man, wants, person, wants to drop in, they can come to the main gate, ask for us, and they'll be sent up here to us, and they can come in, have a cup of tea, a chat, whatever, and from here then we man the office, mostly five days a week, born until lunchtime, uh, voluntary. Now, the reason it's called Michael McNeil is uh, Michael McNeil was a young soldier in the 27th Battalion who served in Lebanon and in 1989 he was shot dead in Lebanon. And my own connection to the barracks would be that uh, I was 21 years in the barracks here with the 27th Battalion. I joined in 75, trained in Dublin. After my training I was posted to the 27th Battalion. Hello, my name is Peter McGuinness um, I am now presently the tailor in the 27th Battalion. I've been part of the 27th Battalion for the past 31 years. In my tailor shop here in the Dog Barracks, you'll probably hear me shuffling now a little while because what I'm doing is I'm opening a cover. This is what's known as a, pe a pennant cover which I made for the O&E. The O&E are ex-servicemen, some of them would have a lot of service, but that's the flag of the 27th Battalion O&E Association. And on the fourth Saturday of every September of each year, for the last seven or eight years, I have carried this flag representing the battalion. And the old soldiers will gather here and they will march out onto the square. And the battalion commander that's residing at the time will come out and he will meet them, shake hands with them. And then as soon as the parade is over, it's brought back up to the tailor shop. So like I'm the keeper of the flag as such. I've now brought you to the door of the Garrison Museum here in Aiken Barracks. Now, I was fortunate enough to get this standalone building, which is a, a fantastic building. It was the original canteen and barrack master's house. 
we have a current display and we have an older display. Now, the thing about the museum, it's not the Imperial War Museum, but it is a collection of artefacts that tell the story of the military in Dundalk, not only the Irish military, but the British military, and it tells quite a good story. The artefacts that we have on store within the barracks here are quite interesting, and most of them have a provenance and are able to tell a story either to the British time here or to the Irish time here, and also not only to the barracks, but to the area, the General Dundalk area and County area. It is quite interesting, and we have an awful lot of good stories to tell in, the, in this door. Just within the door, immediately in the door of the museum, there's a photograph on the wall of a gentleman with a moustache and a very wide-brimmed military hat. Now, that gentleman goes by the name of Robert Baden-Powell, and Robert Baden-Powell was the leader of the Scout Movement. Now, he served here as an officer with the British Army between 1894 and 1895. Now, just below it is a wonderful plaque that was given to us by the Scouts, St. Patrick's Scout Group here in the dock back in March of 2013. And it reads, dedicated to the memory of Lieutenant General Lord Baden-Powell, founder of the World Scout Movement, who served at this barracks 1894-1895, and it's presented by 1st, 2nd, 5th Loud, St. Patrick's Scout Group. Isn't that wonderful? And it's a wonderful connection to the history, both of the Scouts and of the, of the military in the dock. Now, Sarah, what you see in front of you is a couple of mannequins and they're dressed in different uniforms that the Irish Army wore through the years and on overseas missions. Now, if you go to the immediate left, you can see it's a military police sergeant, which is actually Steve O'Donnell's uniform, the heavy uniform, the Bull's Wool uniform, which was the common uniform. It was a heavy surge material that the Irish Army wore right until the 60s. And then we have a collection of uniforms combat uniforms from the 70s through to the 80s, through to the 90s, on, to the modern time, and then we've got a couple of overseas uniforms. Well, you know, the Defence Forces have been going overseas since, uh, on, on, on UN service since 1958. Troops have been going since the Congo in the early 1960s. Uh, and the unit, as you know, was formed in, uh, in, in, uh, during the Troubles in, in, in the 1970s, and the unit would have contributed you know, from that time to our various commitments overseas, Cyprus, Lebanon, uh, Kosovo, Chad, uh, Liberia. So there they, they, they would have been a continuous uh, present, uh, uh, presence and participation of uh, 27 battalion personnel since the foundation of the unit overseas. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Mark Hearns and my connection to Aiken Barracks is that I was the commanding officer of the 27th Infantry Battalion, which is the unit uh, stationed in Aiken Barracks from February 2014 to approximately February 2016. Uh, the Defence Forces reorganised in 2012 and adopted what they call a lead unit uh, concept for serving overseas. So the, uh, this has happened twice to the 27th Infantry Battalion. The first was to Lebanon in 2013. And the 52nd Infantry Group, which I commanded and uh, was formed in uh, February, March of uh, 2016, we, we served in the Undoff mission on the Golan Heights, uh, returning on the 5th of October 2016. You know, our soldiers, when they're off duty, go, go out into the streets of Dundalk or home into the estates in Dundalk, and a lot of people don't realise that they have returned from uh, a mission such as Undoff on the occupied Golan Heights in a very, very challenging environment, working in very difficult conditions, often, you know, often dangerous, uh, with, with taking a lot of risk. Uh, and it's very important, I think, that 
people have some understanding that this has been done, you know, not not necessarily, you know, not for money or not for uh, personal uh, vanity or because they're representatives of the state and therefore representative of the community that they come from. So they're in, they're embarking on this really important uh, work, uh, peacekeeping, uh, in accordance with with our national uh, government policy and supporting the UN in these areas. And that's why I think it's very important for people to think about that and and. Uh, and understand the important work being done on their behalf. We are now in the Garrison Museum here in Aiken Barracks. It's a small museum, but it's very, very well appointed. I brought you to the old switchboard that was still in use in the barracks right until about 1989-1990. Now it's a fantastic piece. It's got everything to tie telephones both in and out of the dock. Now you hold your modern iPhone up to this and you'd see there's a big difference, isn't there? partially because this is about 160 times bigger. Now, do you remember this sound? And I wonder many of young people would understand what this sound is. Exactly, I've just dialed the barracks with the old number and I've put the yellow cord into the recipient hole, which tells me that I've now connected to line six Back in the day, it would have brought me into the officer's mess. And that concludes the walking tour today. I hope that your listeners will find the subject interesting and they've learned an awful lot more about the barracks that maybe they necessarily didn't know beforehand. Well, it's certainly a garrison town, Dundalk is. Dundalk barracks will continue to survive as long as the border exists. That's the way I see it. I'd like to think in 10 years that Aiken barracks will still be here, and I, I believe it will be. Um, it hopefully we'll have still roughly the same number of people employed in it who contribute to the local economy. So if we've just under 500 people here who live and work and bank and shop in Dundalk, I'd like to think that that's still here. We'll continue to support what is required from the army here in Dundalk. You know, we contribute a lot as regards involvement with the local community, charities, sporting clubs. We, we play a large role in that and it's one that we're always proud to do. And when we look then at the role that the army requires from Dundalk Barracks, aid to the civil power will still exist, aid to the civil authority will still exist, you know, in regards, the, unfortunately, the things that do happen in bad weather events and like that, but also the provision of troops I don't know what missions will be here in 10 years' time, but I will imagine that the Defence Forces will require troops to serve overseas. And Aiken Barracks will continue to provide those troops uh, to train and prepare them uh, to carry out the tasks that they require to fulfil when they go on demanding missions overseas. So in 10 years' time, yes, Dundalk will still be here. Um, it will continue to function, be part of the, the local community, but also be in a position to assist um, the Defence Forces and the government in whatever roles it's required to do both here and abroad. Aiken Barracks, Behind the Walls, was produced by Little Road Productions Limited for LMFM Radio and funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.